We are UCL, and these are our remarkable stories. Hi, I'm Mitesh Vagadia. I work in the UCL Student Support and Wellbeing Team. In each episode, I'll be in conversation with a UCL guest as they share with us their remarkable stories, experiences, and life lessons. In our first episode today, we meet UCL staff member Alex Page, who works within the Office of Vice Provost Advancement to ensure donors to the university are properly looked after. Alex will be sharing how anxiety has affected his life in unexpected ways and how he manages this on a daily basis. How long have you been suffering with anxiety and what does it mean to you? Because someone like me doesn't have a real insight having never suffered from anxiety, I believe. So to you, what would you say anxiety is to you and how how does it impact on your daily life? Um, I think anxiety is, and I mean, I'm speaking just for myself, not on behalf of all anxiety sufferers. I think it can manifest itself in a lot of different ways in a lot of different people. Um, To me, it's something I think I've always struggled with. Um, It's I think it's a very easily sort of um, underrated kind of thing because I think anxiety in a lot of senses people think oh anxiety that's sort of what you get before fear it's quite mild it's um, you know people are just worrying about things that they shouldn't worry about it's the same as being a bit nervous you're going to miss a train or something like that it's not it's um, definitely is an emotional and physical manifestation that can really be quite overwhelming at times and um I think it's been really good in the last sort of few years. There's been lots more conversation about anxiety, um, about just how serious it can be, uh, how debilitating it can be, and less sort of feeling where you just think, oh, you need to shrug it off. Oh, don't worry about that. Everything will be fine. Um, I'd also say it's often not rational, um, especially with some of the things that I get anxious about. They are very much things that are very unlikely to happen or things where the worst case scenario isn't actually objectively particularly a bad thing but that doesn't mean the feelings don't manifest themselves um, anyway so to some people I think who don't struggle with anxiety you can think oh that's a really silly thing to be worried about it shouldn't matter Um, but it does matter I think a lot of the time I can't put a finger on when I started when when this when anxiety became a thing that I was aware of that I had Um, I think probably it's always been with me in some respect, but over the last over the last few years, there's much better understanding around it. And even, you know, you could have anxiety and not know it yourself, or you could just be telling yourself all the time, oh, this is a really stupid thing for me to be worried about, you know, I'm being I'm being over the top or something. But I think it's important to recognise that that is, you know, it's not just a case of being worried about something you shouldn't be, it is actually a, a physical thing and in some way influenced by chemistry in the brain and stuff like that. In terms of, you said the impact it had on you, what did it exactly do? So I think there's a couple of ways of um, having anxiety. It's not just a one sort of one, one symptom. Um, if I get really nervous about something, um, conflicts a lot of the time is something that sets me off. I really, really don't like the idea of getting into conflict with people. Um, and if I think something is approaching that might that might be a confrontation. Um, there is definitely a really sort of physical manifestation there. My hands will start to tingle. Um, you feel that sort of constricting of the throat. I find it quite hard to, um, I think 
not to breathe, but my throat gets very dry. Um, and there's also sort of that feeling, that sort of queasy feeling in the stomach that comes on quite suddenly. Sometimes, um, I'm not sure what the best way to describe this is, like overheat in a way, like you feel really sort of sweaty and sometimes quite faint. And all of that can happen from sort of, you can be absolutely fine and then an email can show up in your inbox that says, oh, you've completely messed this up or something or, you know, you've, there's been a complaint about you or, or whatever, you know, something that looks like it could be um, a, a confrontational situation and you go from zero to ten in about 15 seconds and, you know, that's how quick all those things can come on. And you said that you can't pinpoint exactly where or when it came, when it happened, you feel like it's always been with you. I think there's definitely elements that have reinforced it. Um, so I went to an all boys school for the benefit of anyone listening. I am ginger and quite small um, and I have glasses and I wouldn't recommend having any of those things um, if you go to uh, the school that I went to. Um, and I think you sort of know straight away that if you're marked out as different um, in any sense, um, then people will be after you, not for personal reasons, um, sometimes just because, you know, the schoolyard bullies, it's almost a, a career in its own way. Your job is to go out and pick on people because that reinforces your own image. So even if you've led a completely blameless existence and never done anything to rub them up the wrong way, they're still coming for you. And um, I think there's a lot of that atmosphere in in schools. Um, I think it's I sometimes think that going to school is one of the hardest things you go through in life. And when you come out and you find yourself in a in a working environment, you'll actually realise people are a lot nicer. Um, you've almost you've been through the worst, and um, that you know it's never going to be like that again. There aren't going to be people coming after you because you've used a silly word that is then the basis of a nickname you have for the next five years, or people just chasing you to beat you up because that's just what they do um, I'm making it sound like my school time was horrific it wasn't it was mainly nice but there's a constant awareness in that kind of environment that you don't want to do anything that marks you out as different you don't want to do anything that paints a target onto your back and there's a possibility that that target is always there anyway um, just for how you sound or how you look um, and I think probably a lot of people had it much harder than me as well um, so you're constantly aware and you're constantly anxious that something is going to happen. And that probably has helped to reinforce it. That definitely the wanting to avoid confrontation probably comes from there. Family-wise, I'm an only child and my parents are still married. So I didn't have a great deal of that conflict at home that a lot of my friends struggled with. Um, there's some sort of, I think, mental health things that happen in my family that have been quite hard to deal with over the years. Um, they also, I think, played a part in my childhood uh, that could sometimes lead to completely um, unexpected conflict coming up. Um, something you could do could lead to an argument that is just um, completely unpredictable. So there was that element as well. And I think a combination of those two things sort of reinforced that always treading on eggshells sort of feeling that I've, that I've grown up with. Was there certain practical things that you did to make things easier? Um, I think I probably dealt with it quite badly looking back now. Um, I would very easily get overwhelmed if something started making me feel anxious. Then I'd immediately assume worst case scenario. I decided 
that it was absolutely going to happen, whatever it was that I decided. And then I would almost not not quite hyperventilate, but certainly approaching that sort of level of, of fear or panic. Um, I think school and home were a bit different um, when you have kind of that sort of environment at home. It's a very it's a different sort of thing to deal with. Um, I have wonderful parents and um, I was very lucky with my upbringing. So I don't want to make it sound like I've just had this awful time when I was younger. But um, to, to speak frankly, my mother has depression and it leads to mood swings and they are unpredictable and uncontrollable. And you always get the sense that there is something deeply wrong, but you're never going to be told what it is. So you've got the, the fear, especially when you're a, a little boy, that it might be you. Dealing with that at home was very much a case of either just going and shutting myself away in my room if something like that was, was happening, because you learned quite early on that there was nothing you could do to help. Um, whereas at school, I surrounded myself with friends, which I think and still is today a key way that I deal with anxiety. I've got a really good group of friends um, and just sort of over the years learning that I'm not a burden on them because I think a lot of the time you look at everyone else and think they've all got it all worked out and here's me with all my fears and I'm always voicing my fears and my anxieties and I shouldn't do it. They must be sick of it. They're not going to be my friend anymore. Um, I was very lucky with my friends at school. I think they're fantastic. And um, just having those people you can go to and say, this is happening, or I'm worried about this, and not being told, oh, you're being an idiot. Or even understanding when people do say, oh, I don't think that's anything to worry about. Um, sort of seeing it from other people's perspective can be quite helpful as well. So that was quite a jumbled answer. No, it wasn't, actually. It was quite insightful, actually. Are you still in touch with these friends? Uh, yeah, they're, um, I was best man at one of their weddings a couple of months ago. We are, uh, we've been a core group of 10 people for about 15 years. So wow. it's, um, it's really lucky and they're a great, a great set. In terms of your last sort of anxiety episode, how frequently does it happen now then? Um, it's really, I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently about whether they're attacks or not, because you hear about panic attacks a lot mm. and I've never thought that what I struggle with is in that realm that I thought it would be kind of insulting to people who have genuine panic attacks to lump anxiety in the same sort of quarter as that. But, um, thinking about sort of the way it does affect you it is kind of um it can be very debilitating sometimes if something has made me really anxious i will have to go and like shut myself probably in one of the toilet cubicles here just to sit for 10 minutes um because having all the, those symptoms i talked about earlier like feeling like you're overheating feeling lightheaded um that sort of sick feeling shaking sometimes happens as well that's not something you want to be happening at your desk um surrounded by colleagues really so you've just got to get up and walk quickly away. Um, I'm not saying that that is the same thing that people who have panic attacks suffer, but I would probably use the word attack um, because it is something that has that sort of physical manifestation that means you actually have to get up and walk away from something. Um, it's hard to predict the sort of regularity that they might come on with. So they are normally provoked by some kind of trigger. They don't happen randomly to me. Um, whether or not the trigger is rational or not might be a different conversation, but um, it could be if something has happened in my life, you know, if I've just got a text from someone saying, I'm really angry at you. Um, if there's 
and an email being like, oh, you need to do all these things before the end of the day, and you know it's impossible. Any of those things can set off a quite disproportionate reaction that requires me to get up and walk off and deal with it somewhere. So I would say they may become regularly as long as there's a situation going on, but then once it's resolved, things are okay until the next trigger comes up. I can't think of any time where I've just been sort of, everything's been, you know, I've been walking down the street, everything's fine, and then suddenly these symptoms come on without reason. There's always been a cause, something happening, even if it is something really minor that has triggered it. Have you ever seeked, like, professional help to get you to understand it a bit better and to maybe help you with it when you have it? Um, I did have cognitive behavioural therapy a couple of years ago, and that was when I was really beginning to recognise that this might actually be a thing rather than, oh, I'm just an anxious person. Because before then, I'd always just sort of dealt with it as the wrong word. Um, I think just not recognised it for what it was and just thought this is something that happens to me and that I've sort of always dealt with, so I'll carry on. But someone recommended I give um, CBT a go and it was quite helpful. Yeah, it was. Um, there were some interesting routines about just sort of um, writing down things that are making you nervous, um, sort of really laying out what it is about those situations that, that are making you worried, what the worst case scenario could possibly be, um, and then just sort of looking at that and reflecting on it. And personally, I found that to be quite therapeutic. Um, I've always liked writing things down as a way of getting my head around things. So it's been quite useful to just sort of note down what is it that I'm worried about, if you write that down, especially when you're not suffering from an anxiety attack, it can be very helpful when you are to remember the other way that your brain can look at things that it's incapable of doing at the moment and can sort of help. You know, oh, yeah, OK, so this isn't actually the worst scenario in the world. Other than that, I do find talking to people very helpful. Um, I probably talk too much. Um, but it is um, talking through worries, I think, is an important thing to be able to do. Um, there's that the old thing about keeping things bottled up inside you is never a good idea. I would agree with that. Um, I do tend to worry more and more about things if they remain only on my radar and no one else's for a long time. Um, sort of that almost becomes an anxiety in itself. The fact that only I know about this problem that I'm worried about. So sometimes even if it's someone and especially some say if it's a work related worry, chatting to a friend will help. If it's a friend related worry, chatting to a colleague might help. Um, I think sometimes just laying out a situation to someone who doesn't know about it, you can then hear when you're talking to them how you're explaining it. And you can also see how they're reacting to it. And you sort of think as you're talking, hold on, maybe this isn't the big scenario that I have convinced myself that it is. This might sound like a silly question. Is there anything positive from you having anxiety? Um, that's a really interesting question. Um, and I've never thought of it like that. But certainly, I think, yes, there probably is. I think your attention to detail is great because you are very worried. So, and again, I'm speaking personally for myself. I'm not generalizing everyone who has anxiety, but from my own point of view, as I said, I don't like conflicts and making silly mistakes will often lead to unnecessary conflict. So I'm very careful with my work and with everything I do. I also think it's made me um, very attentive to the needs of people because I don't like annoying people. So 
and this can be probably construed as negative or positive, but I'm very much a people pleaser. Um, I like it when people are happy. I like doing things that make people happy. It certainly is much better than doing anything that makes them unhappy that will make me feel anxious until it's resolved, um, essentially. So I think it does, it has really had a positive impact in my life that I've sort of almost had a need to seek approval, which again, doesn't sound positive, but it does mean that you go out there and become friends with people and you want to really sort of cultivate those friendships. So, and I think maybe that's played a role in the group that I'm in, just having those sort of friendships for a long time. But um, because I'm so averse to conflicts, I very rarely find myself in serious conflict in either the workplace or sort of my friend space, um, which I guess is a good legacy to come out of this. You feel really comfortable talking about it. Has that come out of experience and time or is there, was there a point where you felt really open to share your experiences? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I think it's much more recent being just happy talking about these sort of things. Um, I think the wider sort of national conversation around mental health has really improved over the last few years. I think people are recognizing anxiety as not just either attention seeking or not being able to handle basic things or oh, just being a bit worried about something. It is seen as more actually acknowledged as more of sort of the, the condition it is, um, which I think has been really helpful. There's a lot more sort of um, celebrity endorsement of talking about this sort of thing. Um, it's really interesting celebrities, you know, often a lot of them are painted as people who don't have any of these issues or, you know, really sort of, so when you get sort of, um, what's the word, like stereotypical strong men, like mm -hmm. for example, Vinnie Jones opening up and talking about mental health. I think that's a really positive image because it goes to show that this is something everyone can open up about. And it's not easy, um, especially if with anxiety, you've, I think you'll have the fear that you're just going to be shrugged off or you've got the fear that, you know, other people have real problems like, you know, depression or, um, you know, serious mental health issues. And yours is very much like having a cold when you're next to someone with the plague, like it's not really something you feel entitled to moan about. Um, but I think, as I said recently, there's been a lot more conversation and a lot more people have felt comfortable coming forwards. And then you recognize how many people do have similar things. And it's sometimes it's quite nice to see, even if you're reading an interview or listening to a podcast and think, oh, they feel the same as me or they react the same way I do. You know, it's not just me that does that. Um, so, yeah, I think the much bigger conversation has been really, really helpful. And I think, I mean, and, and one of the main reasons I'm sitting here talking to you is just on the off chance this might be helpful to someone who's listening who also has anxiety and might feel that they shouldn't talk about it because it's not a proper thing to be worried about or that they they shouldn't be worried about the things that they're worrying about i'd say it's absolutely fine and it's good to talk about it the one word that you really said that resonated to me was real like the, the actual problem maybe people feel like it doesn't feel as real do you think that's something that holds people back from coming forward and talking about it yes i do um and i think just the things that you can get anxiety over often can kind of um make you feel like, oh, I don't really want to talk about this because it might be about completing an essay. It might be about an email you've just sent to someone. It might be, you know, really what in the grand scheme of things appear as minor things. And even looking back after an anxiety attack, you might think to yourself, why was I ever worried about that? 
it was just an email. That doesn't take away the reality of the feeling at the time and how serious it can be. I think there needs to be a recognition that things you can be anxious about versus what an anxiety attack feels like are quite separate. So even if the trigger is minor, the impact is major. And that I think is is really important because it is then you are having a real kind of um, mental health issue. Coming back to saying about whether it's a real thing or not, I think I definitely used to think it wasn't and that I was just being silly. And probably the most difficult thing is to talk about it. I also think over the last few years, I've recognised and in a lot of ways, there's been a whole societal conversation that has recognised that anxiety is more than just feeling nervous about something. I think it's wrongly branded. I don't like the word anxiety. I think it understates what it is. I think when you have a word like anxiety, it almost seems to imply mild. Oh, I'm a bit anxious about missing that train, not I'm terrified of missing that train. Um, whereas I'd say probably one of the words that I would use to describe an anxiety attack is terror. You know, a lot of the time you feel genuine, real fear of something. Um, I'm not suggesting it should be called terror or whatever. I just, I just don't agree with the word anxiety as a condition because I think it invites itself to be dismissed. In terms of similarities, I mean, you said that it's sometimes not as big as some of the other mental health issues. What you've just said makes me touch back to your last question about has anything positive come out of this? Um, I would say yes, absolutely. And I never dismiss anyone saying that they have any struggles with anything because, you know, when, when you do have something like this, you do realise that what might sound minor to, to anyone listening is actually could be a huge massive thing for the person saying it and it's important to always take that seriously so um yeah i would say that's positive that's come out of it and i do i have friends who suffer from a variety of of, of different things and um i think you're right the common frustration is p the lack of understanding about what an impact something like this can have on on your life and again i don't, I don't want to come on here and moan about um, what I've been through, because in a lot of ways, I think I've had a, an extraordinarily quite lucky experience. Um, and I'm, I think there's, there's definitely much worse types of anxiety out there than the type I have, which I'd probably categorize as fairly mild. Um, so yeah, I certainly don't want to, don't want to come on here and, and sound like I'm saying I've got the worst thing in the world and I've, people have never understood and it's held me back or anything like that. I think it's more just kind of, um, having a conversation about that it is a thing, um, that it does genuinely affect people and that it's okay to talk about it. And um, in the same way that talking about any kind of mental health issue is probably a good thing to do. I thank you for coming on actually, because it's, it's quite nice to have someone who's quite open about something that's quite personal. And yeah, I think that is sort of the motivation is just to kind of to help people out and um, and also to sort of say, I think probably the biggest conflict within me is what I've what I've mentioned before about not really having the right to feel anxious. I've mentioned that in terms of other mental health issues, but I think it's wider than that now that now that I think about it from our, our last conversation. I mean, you know, you especially living in London, you you walk down the street and there's a lot of people who are homeless and they're obviously having huge battles in their lives and you think, what right do I have to be nervous about 
what it is that I'm feeling, um, especially when you come from quite a, a fairly typical, um, I don't know, like upbringing. You know, there was always, I lived under one roof. There was always food on the table. There, were, there weren't any of those sort of kind of struggles that a lot of people do struggle with. So you, you think to yourself, I shouldn't be feeling anxious. You know, I should be thankful every single day. And But when you're having an anxiety attack, none of that seems to matter anymore. It becomes very central. The only thing in the world is the thing that you're worried about. It's quite a selfish thing in a way, I think. Um, and that's another thing I've tried to deal with is just sort of saying, you know, is that a helpful way of looking at it by saying, you know, well, what am I worried about with the bigger picture? I've always had a kind of um, like pinch of salt attitude to that. We are worried about something and people say to you, oh, well, there's people starving all over the world. Um, I don't think that's a helpful thing to say to someone who is suffering from a mental health issue. It's not understanding. It's not emphatic. Um, I can kind of see where the standpoint of someone saying that is coming from. But I think there's a real lack of understanding that 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 it's a it's not brought on in proportion to anything. You know, if you're having an anxiety attack, it, you can feel really awful. And as I said before, for completely disproportionate reasons, but your brain is wired in a particular way to react like that and you can't help that and being made feel guilty about the fact you're having an anxiety attack is not going to do anything to make it better and there's nothing you can do to resolve that other situation they've put in front of you people are starving everywhere right okay i can't sort that out right now so now i just feel bad about the fact that i'm having an anxiety attack on top of the thing I'm having an attack about. Um, I don't know, that's quite jumbled, but I think my main point is that's not a helpful thing to say to people who have mental health issues and that something that might seem very small isn't. And they're probably, again, I'm only speaking for myself, but they're probably feeling guilty enough already about not being able to help make a big thing out of something without it being reinforced to them. Mm. So yeah, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else you do that helps you. I think, and then deep breathing, I think um, anything like that, it does actually help to get your breathing under control. Um, I have a tendency to breathe fast and shallow if I'm having an attack and that doesn't help because you're not getting as much oxygen in. Um, it's just, it's not helpful and it amplifies the physical side of things. So I think being able to breathe deeply, the thing I said earlier, if you've got a list or something where you've written down your worries, do, if there's anything you find therapeutic, I think that's helpful. Just sort of write down, what is this? Try to almost derail your mind from the track it's going down onto something else, something with purpose. So, you know, I need to write down what it is I'm feeling about right now. Um, or, you know, it could be anything, anything that maybe distracts you and has a purpose. Um, again, I'm only, only speaking for myself. Um, also, I find music very helpful. Um, so, I mean, that's talking specifically about having an attack now in the more general sense of dealing with the sort of um, what I mentioned earlier at school, you know, that constant anxiety that something's about to go wrong. That's different to when something is going wrong, but it's a it's an ever present sort of beast. And um, it's almost like a shadow looming sort of just out of sight, that sense that something is going to fall on you and happen it just hasn't happened yet and I think for dealing with that in everyday life um, I do find music a really 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 helpful thing I couldn't operate day to day without music um, Leonard Cohen for me in particular is just 
the best solution. I can listen to any of his music on repeat all day and that's fine. It really helps. Uh, he's not to everyone's tastes. His music is certainly very dark. Um, and I don't know if there's something in that, you know, I think cheerful music would never help me, but sort of the melancholy music that he has really does. And people often say, oh, why do you listen to that? It's really depressing. And I would say it's absolutely the opposite from my point of view. It's, um, it's therapeutic. Um, and walking, I find walking very therapeutic as well. Um, I find it, I like going for a walk and if I'm not listening to music or a podcast, I will just think through things that I may be anxious about at the moment or things that might come up in the future and it helps to sort of keep that at bay because there's nothing worse than that looming feeling of dread when you can't pinpoint where it's coming from. Um, and it never, as I said earlier, it never formulates into an attack by itself because it needs a trigger. But it keeps it at bay, I think, if you just have constantly remind yourself everything's going fine, actually. The shadow that you mentioned, I've never heard that before. A very melodramatic word. Um, it's. I just feel like there's something, you know when there's something just in the sort of the field of your vision, just out of sight? Um, or imagine if you were on a safari and there was a lion you knew there was a lion somewhere nearby and they're just probably watching you and working out the best form of attack, but you've got no idea where or when it's going to strike. That's kind of how it feels. It's just in the, in the periphery most of the time. And, um, and you're not always consciously aware of it. You know, um, you know when there's a noise in a room and you don't hear it until it stops. It often sort of relegates itself to that in the brain. So you forget. How was it at uni for you? Um, it, was, it was, I mean, it was really good. I loved my university experience. Um, uh, I didn't go to UCL, sadly. Um, I went to the University of Kent, which is great. Um, people should visit. They do a lot of fantastic stuff. Um, and I think it was, um, I mean, probably just a very typical university experience um, with a lot of the woes that people deal with. Um, from you know course pressures um i did a lot of extracurricular stuff i think that really helped um for me i had the least time possible that i can have sitting around by myself worrying about something is good so i kept active that might sound contradictory to what i said about going for a walk but there's a difference and i've never thought about how contradictory it sounds but going for like a two-hour walk you have a purpose, you know, you're going somewhere and it's really good to talk things through. Being at home alone for a couple of hours is the opposite of that. And it's where all that sort of looming feeling of dread can creep up on you, at least from my experience. So, um, yeah, university was very much, um, you know, it's your first time moving out of home for me. Um, so there's all this stuff about living in halls with people I'd never met. Um, you know, the extra responsibility. Um, I worked from first year to the end of my master's. Um, sometimes I do like 80 hour weeks. Um, I found that really helpful actually. Like having the job in the supermarket was a sense of purpose. It came with its own anxieties. Um, it came with all of its own circumstances. I did, I was um, one of the front end sort of supervisors. So I dealt with a lot of customer complaints. I think that really helped. I don't think I'd be where I am now if I hadn't had that job, um, probably for my university experience, my experience in the retail sector was more valuable to forming me as a person than my degree was, um, which I've never said out loud before. I did a degree in history. It was great. I'm interested in history. I learned a lot about 
the Boer War and Renaissance architecture. Um, I learned a lot about how to write critically and think critically, which is really helpful. I think nowadays when you see all the sort of fake news circulating around and stuff, having that schooling and critical thinking, who did this, who's the source, why are they sharing it is useful. But in terms of me, actual personal development, definitely working in a supermarket was a hugely great thing to do. I've worked since I was 16, so that, that was fun, but that was very much like a weekend job. Um, working at Asda was, I think for me, it became more than just a way of earning a bit of money to spend on nights out or whatever. For me, it was actually something I really enjoyed doing. We were a very strong team there. Um, there were six of us front end supervisors who did all the shifts all week. Um, I really forged a lot of bonds with people um, because you were going through the same thing. I got to meet people outside of the sort of normal circles I'd have met if I'd just done history at university. So I think there's a lot said about, you know, you're in a university bubble. Um, a lot of the time you, you don't meet people who aren't studying at university, who aren't, you know, part of that, you know, that sort of bubble. But working in a supermarket, you know, the people there, everyone there, fascinating backstories, people from all over, um, lots of like, um, lots of mums who would come in and work 10 to 3 while the kids were at school. Um, really nice um, people to get to know and work with. Um, obviously, everyone comes into their shop in there. It was... Um, only big supermarket for probably about 10 to 15 minutes walk around so um lots of people would come there and just dealing with customers dealing with complaints i was on the customer service desk a lot as well um and you saw all kind of things people getting really angry and shouting at you for something that isn't your fault um that you know because it's been on the wrong shelf and they've been overcharged a pound and um you know they're really shaking their finger in your face and having a go and for someone who doesn't like confrontation that was really difficult um i'd get all those symptoms then but you can't just walk off in the middle of serving a customer and go and shut yourself in a cubicle um so i had to learn a lot of how to deal with conflict that you can't avoid that it's actually your job to help resolve um I think that job, I think, really formed me as a person because it um, it made me think a lot about, you know, asking myself what's the worst that can happen, um, dealing with very angry people a lot of the time, dealing with really good situations as well, unexpected situations. We had someone give birth once in the home and leisure um, department and just had to get some cushions and well, first aid her along as soon as possible. And um, you're not ready for those things. They just happen. It felt like you were OK with that? Yeah, so I think that's kind of twofold. I think in the first instance, that people pleaser uh, element of me that I spoke about earlier overrides the anxiety element. So if imagine being in a situation where you can help people with their inquiries every day. I mean, for me, that's perfect. I mean, why do I love working here so much? We are our office brings in philanthropic donations that have a massive impact on research on people's lives that improve them for the better and i love that like i i love working here it's fantastic and just seeing that impact that you're a part of is very nice for someone like me um so i think i went in there because i wanted to help um with kind of the knowledge that there might be the odd complaint but i also think it was quite nice to say to myself there will be conflict here that you can't avoid so you know, if you're shoehorned into it, maybe it's a way of dealing with something you've always put off. Otherwise, um, there was really a bit of me that did say to myself, I need to be more assertive. I need to be better at dealing with stuff like this. You know, I'm I'm not very good at it. And back then I was thinking I'm, I'm weak. Um, 
I wouldn't agree with that anymore. Um, but I think it's very easy to think, oh, I am a weak person because I get nervous about everything. And that's what I was feeling then. And I just thought this might be a good thing to do, take on this this bit of responsibility. And at the end of the day, you know, you're not the prime minister, you're standing behind a customer service desk. None of your decisions are going to start a war or have lives hanging on them, you would hope. Um, so there was definitely that sort of that element. And then when I was getting nervous about things, then obviously, as I said earlier, all those things go out the window because it doesn't matter if it's rational or not. All that exists is you and the problem and your reaction to it. And um, But you're trapped because you're representing the company and you can't just walk away. And that, that really helped, I think. And I didn't recognise what I had then for what it is. So I think that was probably an element too. But I would certainly, I'd do it every time. Yeah. What's interesting is you said that it formed you more as a person working in Asda than going to university. I think so. I think um, going to un if I hadn't had the job at Asda, going to university would have it would have been great, but it wouldn't. It would have made me reinforce those few qualities that I came there with. Um, what's the best way of describing this? Like I'm, I think. I can be quite an introverted person. Um, I think that studying history as I did, um, a very few contact hours, a lot of it is, oh, you just need to go to the library and do 30 hours a week reading, which for me probably translated into 30 hours every three years. But um, like, there's not, you're not thrown into a great deal of social situations. You really have to seek them out. Um, so, you know, I'm not, I would, and obviously I had a lot of friends there and we would go to the club together and stuff, but I'd never do that sort of thing by myself. I wouldn't go to a club by myself. I wouldn't, wouldn't go to the pub with the aim of meeting a stranger. I don't think I've ever done that. It's a terrifying prospect for me, you know. I, um, whereas going to, to work with the public every day, and, you know, when I started on the checkouts and so you've got someone who's doing their weekly shop, you might be serving them for 20 minutes. You have to learn to how to make conversation. I'm terrible at small talk. Um, I was even worse back then. And um, you just kind of learn certain formulas, how to talk to people. Um, you kind of learn, I think there's a great deal of people watching there's a great deal of learning from other people around you behaviors and things like that i think i think there should be an anthropology course on supermarkets because it is really a melting pot of of every single aspect of society everyone needs to go shopping and when it boils down to it it really does reinforce how we are all the same um, you know everyone's going to get angry if they're overcharged everyone is on the lookout for when the reduction labels come on everyone everyone buys um you know, bread, milk, staples, all of that sort of thing. It's, uh, I think supermarkets are a great example of how society should be united. Uh, yeah, I just think that it put me in a lot more situations. It meant that I um, spoke to people that I wouldn't have spoken to normally um, in age ranges different to me. If I'd just been at uni, I probably would have hung out with people mainly my own age, um, mainly my own background, probably, and mainly studying history. So that would have been quite a narrow experience, probably. Um, and not because I didn't want to hang out with someone, anyone else, just because I, if I'm normally alone, I won't seek to have company of people I don't know. So I would have just probably sat around in the house um, if, I, if my friends weren't doing anything and, and not 
adventurously thrown myself into new new things whereas the supermarket did all that you know and I ended up with regular customers from all walks of life and still in touch with some of them now it's um so I think that was much more about broadening personality about meeting all different types of people about tackling some of the things that make that made me anxious and and the friends I made there are fantastic I went around the world with one of them it was uh yeah. it was great yeah at a point in your life if you could give one piece of advice to that younger self to help you manage the anxiety what would you tell them don't feel guilty i think um i think certainly for me and hopefully maybe for anyone listening who has this i think guilt is a big aspect for all those things i've touched on earlier you know you're aware a lot of the time that life has been pretty good to you um you know you've got a job you've got friends you've got a family so many people don't have that so what right do you have to be feeling how you feel um i think i mentioned earlier that my mum struggles with depression um so i think that too has played a big part in my upbringing and also that whole argument about why should i feel sad when so many other people have things worse off than me. I've been able to witness that happening to someone who I'm very close to and witness that you're thinking that isn't helpful because when you feel like that, you do just feel like that. You can't turn it off. I think that's a very common misconception that if you say to someone, oh, you, you know, you're feeling anxious or you're feeling sad, but don't worry, lots of people have it worse off. You do, then what do they expect you to do? Just cheer up at the click of a finger. You can't turn it off. It's chemical. It's physical. It's like having a cold. You couldn't say to someone with a common cold, oh, you know, other people have the flu. And you'd be like, oh, no, you're right. I shouldn't have this cold. And then just get rid of it. You can't do that. It's there until it goes away. And I think the first thing is to acknowledge that and think, and I shouldn't feel bad about this. This is, this is, a, a physical thing it's caused by some kind of chemical in the brain um it's just like having a cold when when you've got it 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 will come on and you shouldn't feel guilty about that and you shouldn't be thinking there's much worse things happening to other people you should you should care obviously um but it's okay to feel affected and yeah so don't be guilty they are the three words that i'd say to my younger self because it just makes it worse. It puts you in a vicious cycle because then your sense of self-worth goes down as well. Not only am I feeling anxious about all of this, but I'm also a bad person because I'm being selfish and I'm only caring about myself and I have no reason to be sad because lots of other people have worse things happening to them. But I am sad. That's because I'm a bad person, because I'm broken. It just goes on and on and on and on and on and it's much harder to climb back out of it if you've got that sort of reinforcing negativity going around in your own mind does it feel good talking about it yeah actually i've um i've said a few things today that i've never really considered before i certainly hadn't thought about the whole asda thing um being such an important influence in my life um and i've never been able to and i don't know if i have or not but i've never been able to brilliantly articulate that feeling of dread that follows you around everywhere you go um just out of sight um so yeah that's certainly helpful um it's quite nice talking to um you're relatively a stranger to me we've met once before this um that's definitely nice um i think yeah i think it is it is nice and um 
I hope it. I hope it's helpful. I hope I haven't sounded too negative. Um, I think that's that's another important message as well um, that maybe I haven't got across properly. But be it, having anxiety doesn't mean you're constantly an anxious, worried, worst case scenario is going to happen person. You know, you're not stuck in that. Um, mindset all the time it's something that can come on from my experience and then you do get an overwhelming sense of or oh, you know this is terrible this is this is going wrong and like I said earlier it's something that feels out of sight but while that's out of sight everything else is in sight and a lot of that can be really positive things um, I'd like to think of myself as a fairly happy person really like I know I have this thing but I don't think it defines me um, I think if you ask people in the office for one word to describe me, it would probably be cheerful. Um, I get that quite a lot. And um, so, yeah, I think like I don't want to come on here and just sound like oh, I'm moaning and this is a constant, terrible battle and poor me. It's more a case of it's fine for this sort of thing to come up and but it doesn't define me. And actually, I'm generally very, a very happy person. I wouldn't describe you as being anxious when I first saw you and even knowing even now, knowing that, you know, you are dealing with anxiety I still wouldn't think you're an anxious person you don't come across that way like you said you come across like a very cheerful happy person to me yeah it's, it's really interesting that because like I said earlier when you're having an attack you feel like it's physically recognisable and that people should be turning around and being like oh what's wrong with you but I also feel like the the lurking sense of dread all of that is kind of visible in a way and I'm often I feel out of step with how other people describe me and I, even now I've got like a constant running thread through my brain of do I sound like um, like what are people listening to this going to think that I'm, I'm an idiot or I'm belittling other things or you know that I sound really um, what's the word privileged is that the like, word that you know that all the things I said well why 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 am I sitting here complaining about this um, and you know that even now is going through my mind but at the same time I guess I can kind of project what you've just described as well because it's um yeah it's, it's quite below the surface i think i think that's probably a difference with how different people suffer from these things but i would say that to people just because it's not visible doesn't mean it isn't there so if someone says to you they've got anxiety and you think nah you don't have anxiety you're the happiest person in the world they probably do and um a lot i mean you read a lot about actors quite often and comedians struggle with depression quite often and there's there's a whole studies on why are people who struggle with things like this more likely to be funny is it sort of the, like by observations of the world that they can make and stuff like that I don't know I don't have the answer to that but my point is that you know comedians as a whole um, profession you think oh they're funny and a lot of comedians struggle with really low feelings of self-esteem and it, it's always just under the surface but it's not necessarily something you can see so yeah, that would be a bit of advice to people who don't suffer from that. Like if someone says that they do, really, really take them at their word. Don't don't make them prove it and don't think, no, no, you don't. You're fine. You're happy. And you can be happy and anxious at the same time. Very much so. So It's been so insightful for me. I've, I've never spoken about anxiety to anyone. I've never known it the way you've told me. I think you've been really articulate, actually. I think it's been great the way you've shared more than you've said the word moan and I think you shared and I think that's I think that's powerful oh, thank you I hope I hope that someone someone can listen and 
you know, feel feel like it's okay to be anxious. I think that's the main objective. So yeah, thanks. No problem. Absolute pleasure. If you have been affected by any of the topics raised in this episode, please do visit the UCR Student Support and Wellbeing website where you'll find a number of helpful resources. In episode two, I'll be talking to UCL alumni Lincoln Lee and Kissam Chan, founders of the amazing social enterprise Rice Inc. Trust me, folks, you do not want to miss this one.